September 14th, 2020. Location, the House of Commons. Speaker, Ed Miliband of all people. And let's just get this straight for a minute, because I think it's important to take a step back. What the Prime Minister is coming to this House to tell us today is that his flagship achievement, the deal he told us was a triumph, the deal he said, as I said, that was oven ready, the deal on which he fought and won the general election is now contradictory and ambiguous. Madam Deputy Speaker, what incompetence, what failure of government, governance. And, and Madam, De Madam Deputy Speaker, how dare he try and blame everyone else? Can I say to the Prime Minister, this time he can't blame the right honourable member for Maidenhead, he can't blame John Major, he can't blame the judges, he can't blame the civil servants, he can't sack the Cabinet Secretary again. There's only one person responsible for it, and that's him. This is his deal, it's his mess, it's his failure. For the first time in his life, it's time to take responsibility. It's time to fess up. Either he wasn't straight with the country about the deal in the first place, or he didn't understand it. And in the words of public enemies, Chuck D, bring the noise. Podcast Network. I am Charlie Taylor, and this is What's Good. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Hope you've all had a good week in the circumstances. Boy, 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 boy. You know, when I saw when I saw that video of Ed Miliband absolutely destroying Boris Johnson, I was just like, <laughs> oh, like any anybody can get a double off this guy. Anybody can get a double off this guy. This is how bad Boris Johnson's doing right now. Even Ed Miliband. I think Shadow Energy and Business Secretary or some shit. Like, e even he's getting licks. Even he's getting licks. And he can't have no answers for him. It's a joke, man. It's a joke. Like, I, like that was that was a that was a certified par, right? But damn, man. Like, it can't come this easy. It shouldn't come this easy, man. It's just like, have you read it? He ain't read it. <laughs> what the fuck? Oh, but we will get to that. We will get to that in one of the segments. But anyway. I hope you're all doing well. It's been a solid week for me. Can't complain. Um, yeah, man. That's, uh, I'm, just, I'm just trying. To, I just try and like think off the dome, like when I try and think of this stuff. But um, yeah, man, it's been pretty decent. Pretty decent. And um, yeah, you know, the rule of six ain't affecting me. Like I ain't even been in a group of six more than six. <laughs> like I don't know since I don't know New Year's maybe. I'm not really sure. Like, the, the biggest one I've been in is a group of four, or five maybe. But six, nine, not even happening. So, uh, R.I.P. to the lads. R.I.P. to the lads and all the squad, squad, uh, uh, squad motives. Um, going to fucking Weatherspoons in a pack of ten with no masks on. I see that shit. Trust me. I see. I saw that shit on the walk home one time. Boy, horrible. Absolutely grim. Grim state of affairs. But with that said, we're all good. It's all good in the hood. I've got <sighs> hay fever because why not? Uh, I got an appointment for a flu jab in a month. Yep, I, I made that shit today, and it's cut. And, and the appointment's in a month. Oh my gosh, it's real out here. Is 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 real out here. I won't be, I won't get my flu jab until October. Nutty, absolutely nutty. And it's a nine thirty. I'm pissed. 
to have to wake up in the morning. Do you, do you realise the last time I wake up, woke up in the morning? I don't remember. It's been that long. I don't remember waking up in the morning. I, I've, I just don't. Well, obviously, I have woken up in the morning, like, you know, 10. But, uh, that, I, I mean, morning, morning. Like, you know, waking up at 8, 7. You know what I mean? <laughs> that, that's morning. Uh, 10's nothing. Right? I can do that. Believe it or not, I can do that. You know, even though I'll mostly, most of the time, wake up at 12. But, you know, I can wake up at 10. Trust me. I'm not that bad. But if you're asking me to get up at the same time as these youths, mm-mm. Nah, Charlie, Charlie, don't do that no more. Charlie ain't about that no more, right? Education's done. I don't need to do that no more. Nope, nope, nope. Can't go back. Can't go back. But anyway, it is what it is. I have to get up in the morning one day. <laughs> uh, pray for me. But anyway, that's that's in the future. This is now. And we got a stack show for you guys. Uh, we have a life, film and TV, a super nice film and TV. We have a... We have, ladies and gentlemen, diversity report. We have a report. We are dropping some knowledge right now, okay? We're dropping some knowledge. Trust me on that. It's going to be tasty. And also got uh, two sports topics I wanted to get through. Uh, but before we begin, formatties, before we begin, email, Twitter, IG, Facebook as well, Discord link, all that, all that, all that is in the full show notes. Support the people that make this show possible, which 90% of that is me. So support me, me, me. Shout out to Matrix. Me, me, me. And with that said, and the beat drop, and let's get into the show. In a week where Diversity's BLM performance on Britain's Got Talent gets nearly... Oh, I have to change that. It's not even 16,000 anymore. It's now up to 20,000 complaints. Right. So, I could have done a whole segment on this, to be completely honest with you. But simply put, you lot around yourselves, first of all. Luckily, I can't get the names of these 20,000 people, because that would have been fucking funny if I could. Right? First of all, you lot out on yourselves. Secondly, you're making the whole performance and what it was about, you're making it relevant, right? You're kind of making their point for them. So, congratulations, you are now part of the fucking act, idiot. And three, if you don't like it, drum roll please, change the fucking channel. Change the channel. You have several channels at your disposal, at your dispose, disposal, yeah, disposal, at your fingertips, change the fucking channel, what is your problem, why do you care that much, why do you care that much, is it really offending you that bad, oh, oh gosh, I can't wait for the day when actual legislation comes through, fucking hell, you're gonna have a, your head's gonna explode, if you can't take a piece of artwork, oh my gosh, oh, Oh my gosh, it's, oh, that's a, it's going to be a world, that's going to be a world, unbelievable. More than 3 million acres have burned in the California wildfires, um, I could have given so many more stats towards that, um, but 3 million acres kind of uh, sets it all up, but um, yeah man, just seeing that shit, I, I remember when, um, remember when I saw like, uh, when it was initially going on, I mean, still going on, but you know, when, when I saw um, initial video, and uh, someone put, like, Blade Runner music on it. Oh, my gosh, it actually looked proper real, you know? You could have told me that's Blade Runner footage, new Blade Runner footage, and I'll be like, that's decent footage, you know? That's decent, that's some clean footage right there, because literally someone just got a drone, 
filmed some shit in, uh, I think, Los Angeles. And someone put uh, Blade Runner music on it. Oh my gosh, it looks so dystopian. Like it's it's crazy out there. I can't I can't even imagine. Uh, reggae legend Toots Hibbert dies age seventy seven. R.I.P. to the legend. Uh, Tenet hits two hundred million dollars globally. Um, I still need to see that. Still need to see that. I need to hear my pops about that. Um, and lastly, uh, this is like something I got last night, literally before I went to bed. Uh, whistleblower Dawn Wooten accuses ICE uh, performed hysterectomies on detainees. So, not only is America detaining people, um, you know, in in completely and putting them in horrible circumstances, they're performing hysterectomies on them for no fucking reason. Like that's that's crazy. That's some that's some. There's 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 countries right where where we, we you know we 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 shit on them for you know the lack of um, women's rights, right? You can you know I won't name countries because you know you can you can find that kind of stuff easily. But bro, Americans are doing the exact same thing. Like, what's the difference? What is the difference? They're performing. They're, they're Literally, the, 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 she said. Uh, she said on. Uh, I think she got interviewed last night or something. Like she, she <laughs> they were asking her why are they performing hysterectomies on us, and they called the doctors um, or whoever. If it's I don't know if it's one person or several people, but like they called them fucking uterus collectors. Uterus collectors. What kind of Jesus? What kind of like fucking tagline is that? Fucking hell, man, that's crazy, but anyway, we, uh, start, fucking hell, that, that just threw me off, uh, we, we start with life, and, uh, yeah, so, obviously, the Ed Miller Band, uh, clip was basically just him talking about the, uh, recent internal bill, uh, I think that's what they're calling it, uh, but basically, um, the government's just going rogue, they're, they're just saying, fuck it, we want to do what we like, and we're just gonna go do it, because, why the fuck not, right? Why the fuck not? You know, let's keep burning bridges. That's what that's what we should do. We we are in such a great place right now. Let's just keep burning bridges. So uh, I wanted to just read a little thread. Um, this is by uh, Bloomberg, the exit. You know, don't say that word. Um, and uh, I just I just want to give it a read quickly, just because it, it gives like a nice primer uh, for the actual main article I'm going to go through. So let's get let's get into this right quick. Uh, Boris Johnson's plan to tear up parts of the exit divorce agreement he secured from the EU has sparked consterna- consternation. Yeah, consternation in Brussels and a rebellion in Westminster. Uh, Boris Johnson is rowing back, uh, row- rowing back. Okay, uh, from the policies on Northern Ireland he signed up to only last year as part of the withdrawal agreement. His government says it's prepared to break international law to undo parts of the deal because that's that's the levels we're at, ladies and gentlemen. To break international law, why not? Yeah, why? Why not? You know, other countries do it. Fuck it, let's go for it. Um, at stake is the Northern Ireland Protocol, agreed uh, between Johnson's government and the EU, designed to prevent a hard border on the island, on the island of Ireland. <laughs> Jesus, uh, at the cost of putting cust- uh, the customs border in the Irish Sea. The Internal Market Bill, which is the name of the bill, uh, would give UK ministers power. UK ministers powers to uh, waive customs paperwork on trade between Northern Ireland and Great Britain. Unilaterally define which goods entering Northern Ireland are liable for tariffs in event of a No Deal. Strike down EU state aid rules. So the second one there, in my mind, is the important one. Right. So unilaterally 
uh, defining which goods entering Northern Ireland are liable for tariffs in the event of a no deal. Because as you have seen, ladies and gentlemen, I hope you have seen in the news recently, the chances of a no deal are rising by the freaking day. When and if that happens, um, that, that exact sentence I just gave will be the kind of saving grace for some. It'll be a reprieve in some way. But that's just shitting on... The whole thing is shitting on Northern Ireland again. Like It's just shitting on Northern Ireland. I don't know... I, I You know what? The one thing... Uh, you know, I've obviously... This is kind of a tangent, but like... In the education thing that I've, um, you know, been pushing the past, you know, year or so. Um, or throughout the show, mostly. Um, I, I think I've said this before, but I know fuck all about, like, the relationship between Ireland, Northern Ireland, and, uh, the and you know the government and Westminster specifically, right, I, I just, I just, I don't have the, I don't, I just don't have the knowledge, like, you know, I've heard of the Good Friday Agreement, I've heard the IRA, you know what I mean, stuff like that, but I, I don't know the exact, like, you know, just, just bit by bit fuckeries that have gone down over the, over the decades, anyway. Um, these issues are highly sensitive to the EU, which has responded, uh, responded with an ultimatum, UK has three weeks to amend legislation or face legal action. Uh, all of Britain's living ex-leaders have expressed concern over the plan. Do not give a fuck about those. Uh, Boris Johnson can also face a fight in the House of Lords, though it doesn't have to, uh, doesn't have an absolute veto. Um, and aside, um, some something about America, and also something about Scotland. Um, because of this, it will obviously give them more impetus to uh, go independent. Which you know, well, at this point, why not jump ship? Fuck it. Uh, if I'm Scottish, yeah, man, go for it. <laughs> Dip, straight dip. I'd straight dip. Why not? Like personally, I'd dip. This is a sinking ship, fam. Like trust me. Anyway, so the main article I wanted to get into right quick is um, <clears throat> um, a kind of exercise in some anthropology for you guys, because um, there are three types of cultures in uh, cultural anthropology, right? So you have guilt cultures, shame cultures, and fear cultures. Okay, so us is a guilt culture. America is a guilt culture. Um, Japan is a shame culture, right? So, you know, you can, you can look up to, you can look up this stuff more specifically um, to, uh, you know, just in your own time, to be honest. <laughs> it's, it's, anthrop- it's, social, it's cultural anthropology. I'm not going to, you know, get into that too deep. But just just note that because that's kind of the way I wanted to frame this particular article. So uh, the article is called uh, A Threat to Democracy, How Europe's Media... Uh, reacted to UK's plan to renege on the exit deals by John Henley of The Guardian. So let's just jump right in. Uh, Boris Johnson's internal market bills, a threat to democracy by a government on an ideological crusade that is driving Britain into ever-increasing isolation. While the world, sta- uh, world stares on in disbelief, European media have concluded. Uh, quote, in the space of four short years, the UK has grown from a prominent and respected member of the European Union to an isolated state, angry with its allies and closest traded neighbours, and watched by the world with disbelieving eyes, St. Francis Lebriachon. Um, I've, I've butchered that, but deal with it. At the end of the week, uh, end of a week in which the UK government doubled down on its plans to pass a law providing, the, uh, quote, providing for the possibility of violating a binding international treaty, like, just stop there. Just stop right there. The, f- the fact that that's what we're doing here. Now, we're just, you're just openly going, fuck you to international law. You know what I mean? It's crazy. This whole thing is fucking bonkers. Anyway, it's had itself, uh, it had itself negotiated and sold to voters as a triumph. 
The left-leaning daily, uh, left-leaning daily said in the UK said the UK had step by st- steady step uh, sapped the EU27's confidence and goodwill. Uh, provocation is not uncommon as sensitive international negotiations reach their conclusion. It said, uh, "quote but it's, but it goes further. It has caused fury and profound disbelief abroad from Brussels and the other capitals of the EU to Washington." Officially. Uh, negotiations with the EU on a possible free trade deal continue, Libreshion said. Uh, but what will the negotiation negotiators now say to each other when there is no progress on the key sticking points? Fish, governance, a level playing field. How far will Boris Johnson go and for how long? Germany, I'm not even going to say that name. No point. No point at all. Um, I'll say the last one, Zeitung. Just the, the other one's just nah, nah. It's just it's like, it's like, it's, it, I can I could barely say Nietzsche, you know what I mean? So I'm not even gonna bother. Um, was equally brutal. What had happened in London this week was quote simply not normal. The paper said, uh, with his plan to reach uh, breach the exit treaty with the EU, Boris Johnson has shaken the very foundations of British democracy. <laughs> so, so I'm just gonna stop there, just because. Uh, um, yeah, I can go on through this. Like, there's there's one from Le Monde. There's one from uh, uh, Spain's El Pay or El Pays. I don't know how to say it. I am terrible with languages at the moment. Uh, or Netherlands uh, De Volkskrant. Like, we can we can go on this. Like, it's kind of the point I made. But the point I wanted to make personally, off the back of this, is just the fact that, like, the, the while you may not. And, you know, in some way, I don't really care about what, you know, French media or uh, German media is saying. It's the fact that they have just, like, in my mind, have just solidly just... They, they just know what's going on. You know what I mean? I don't care about their actual opinions. I just care about the fact that they fucking... They, you know, you may not care, but let's be real, that's what it is. Like, that's what it is. They, 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 it's not... This is not a shroud. This is not a shroud. This is not. Um, this is this is not like you know uh, playing the cards close to your chest. Like literally, Boris Johnson has just gone all in. Here's my card: a two and a three. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just like it it, it it dumbfounds me. The whole thing just dumbfounds me. Right? And the reason why I wanted to talk about like uh, uh, frame it in the prism of um, uh, guilt cultures and shame cultures is um, sometimes, you know, guilt cultures suck, right? I can imagine shame cultures like Japan working because, you know, if you say, say you're in a family, right? Say, say to you, excuse me, say the UK is one big family, right? So, um, you know, uh, the government's the I guess the dad, whatever, right? Let's just let's just go with that, and we're and we're the children, right? So we're seeing this. We're see, we're seeing we're seeing our own dad shoot himself, uh, shoot himself in the foot, and therefore we won't have a fucking home to go to. Our the prices of our food will go up by next year ex- exponentially. You know, there's people already um, stocking up on shit. Like you know, that's already happening now in September. It's mid September, right? So. Daddy has shot himself in the foot, right? And everyone in the neighbourhood, everyone on the road knows this, that he shot himself in the foot, right? And uh, he's he, he's acting like an idiot, and he's treating us like garbage, right? Everyone knows this. Everyone knows this, right? In shame cultures, 
they could all come and just go shame, 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 right? And the government will be like, all right, fuck. We're, we're fucking up right now. Need to go to rehab, right? Um, but we're a guilt culture. And what is a guilt culture if the perpetrator doesn't have any guilt? Like, th- th- this government is operating on the lack of guilt. They don't have any. They, they, they don't have the capacity. They don't know what it means. It's not in their vocabulary. Do you see what I'm getting at? They don't have guilt. And even if they do, they wait until the job's done, everything's fucking set in stone, and then they leave their political careers to write fucking memoirs, and then they say they regret shit. Go read any... Any former Prime Minister's book, memoir, whatever you want to call it, biography, autobiography, right? They always, always re- express regret over one thing, right? They always regret, uh, always express regret. But why the fuck does it matter now? It's just you getting a book deal. That's all it is, right? And trust me, and, uh, you know, and Boris uh, Johnson might be the rarity where he might just go, this is still fine. 20 years later, when we're all fucked, right? He, 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 might be, he might be going, writing his memoir and dropping that fucking book deal on us like we give a shit, and just going, I still don't regret nothing. And you know what? I wouldn't be surprised. I wouldn't be surprised. You know, we are a guilt culture, but the, the, the problem with that and, you know, the problem with America as well, it's the same thing, right? Trump can't be guilted. He he ain't got no guilt. He ain't got no guilt. Because he's a fucking um, narcissistic sociopath. And Boris Johnson, I don't think is smart... Uh, well, not smart enough. But like, I don't think Boris Johnson um, can be on that level because I think he's just plain an idiot, to be honest. I, th- I think he's just dippy. It's just crazy. Like the dude has no guilt, and that's where we're going right now. We're we're, go, we're going we're doing all this with a set of people like Pretty Patel, that smug fucking face. Oh my gosh, it's it's the bottom jaw. It's the jaw. Like you know, what I mean, just when it when it tightens and like she starts talking, like it just it's like, it's like, ugh, the the bottom teeth just eke out a little bit. And she just looks like she's oh, smiling as she talks. It's so fucking weird. Anyway. <laughs> general apology aside it, th- these people don't have guilt and we can't guilt them into this shit like it's over it, we, it's it's impossible to guilt them into this stuff they're just doing it because they have no guilt they have a lack of guilt you can tell them any fucking horror story as it pertains to child poverty uh, homelessness eviction notices potentially you know due to corona stuff potentially right you could tell them all the horror stories, all of them, no guilt, zero, zero guilt, zero, no guilt, zilch, zilch guilt, sans guilt, so with that said, I'll take my sip and we shall move on from that because I have no solution to that, we're fine, it's over, no guilt, what's the point?
going to hop on to sports, first of two, and uh, I wanted to talk about Naomi Osaka because um, she recently obviously won the uh, uh, US Open for the second time, uh, rocking that uh, head uh, uh, head wrap uh, in the um, official pictures, looking clean, um, and uh, yeah man, I just wanted to talk about this uh, particular article I saw because um, you know, obviously she's been doing this, uh, you know, wearing masks to highlight racial inequality, throughout every match, and it was kind of destined in some way, just, you know, knowing that she has all those rounds to go, she has, you know, the ex- the exact same number of masks to wear, the Trayvon Myers, the George Floyd, the Tamir Rice ones, beyond the Taylor ones, uh, she wore it throughout every match, well, not, not throughout the match, but, like, after every match and before every match, right? God, imagine if he was wearing, like, fucking masks, like, that'd be, now, now, now that, that would be a flex, Jesus Christ! Am I imagine that? Anyway, but um, yeah, she won. She won the U.S. Open in a great fashion, coming back uh, from uh, I think a set down to beat Victoria Azarenka in the final. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I just, I just saw this article. It's a good article actually. So um, by uh, Tumani um, Cariol uh, via the Guardian here. And um, yeah, man, let's just jump right in. This is called Naomi Osaka proves herself a champion on and off the court. And I feel like you know, along with her. And also the news of Lewis Hamilton recently uh, winning the Tuscan GP and wearing the Breonna Taylor shirt. And, uh, you know, the FIA was going to investigate him uh, for, for wearing it. And then uh, I think that a day later, quickly you turned on that, you know, rightly so. Because um, if you're p- planning on finding him for any of that shit, you're just, you're, you're fucking mental. <laughs> like, what you tried to, what kind of meshi- message do you want to send with that kind of shit? Honestly, but anyway, yeah, with, with them two specifically, um, in recent in recent days, um, it's 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 very commendable, and uh, I feel like you know, well, we'll we'll do Liz Hamilton when he you know <coughs> wraps up that uh that record tying championship because it's uh, inevitable, and none of you Schumacher fans can stop it. Um, and uh, yeah, I thought since Naomi Osaka's uh, had her season over with uh, with this one, let's just jump right into this one because it's a really good really good uh, write up. Uh, Nomi Osaka is unlikely to forget her past three weeks. She stopped the tennis world for a day after she refused to compete at the Western and Southern Open. She marched into her, uh, her seven matches with masks, bearing the names of black people unjustly killed by police and civilians. She has uh, pac- patiently answered upwards of 100 English and Japanese questions about her reasons for doing so. She has been consistent and clear throughout, yet still standing in Arthur Ashe Stadium as the newly crowned US Open champion, she was asked to explain her message once more. Her response, quote, well, what was the message you got, unquote. It was a fitting end before the event. Osaka was unsure of what what the outcome of her amplifying police violence and anti-black killings would be. Yet her actions have challenged journalists uh, to cover anti-black racism in the same breath they cover her relatively unimportant matches. She has inadvertently held a mirror up to the sport itself, exposing cluelessness on racial issues, even as a record 12 black players populated the women's singles draw. After her quarterfinal win, an interviewer gleefully explained how she was guessing the name of the next, uh, brackets dead, and brackets person, to appear on her mask every day. Later on in the week, her activism was pitted against Serena Williams, as she asked to comment on why Williams, who once boycotted the tournament for 14 years because of racism, had not quote, made any statements of su- uh, or support of the movement, unquote. Outside interests are so often described as distracting force as a distracting force for athletes. But Osaka posits that the past six months have offered her perspective that has enriched her game. Quote, it made me stronger, she told ESPN after her win. 
because I had more desi- desire to win because I wanted to I want to show more names and I want people to talk about it more unquote and she has been so strong uh, Osaka is on the path to becoming one of the biggest most clutched servers in history and her power is so effortless but this fortnight was notable for her less obvious qualities her continued evolution as an athlete and the fruits of many months of labor uh, during lockdown on her backhand slice volleys and second serve through it all her supreme mental strength continues to glue her game together she is a problem solver with the discipline and rationality under pressure contrast uh, with most other competitors an example in the second set of a fourth round match against Annette who contavit uh, she desperately struggled to break serve. Most players would attempt to calm down by reminding themselves of their own quality. Osaka thought only of her opponent's strengths. Quote, I just told myself she's a great player. She's supposed to hold her serve. Unquote. Osaka has won three of the past five hardcourt Grand Slam titles, and she is the youngest player to win a third major since Maria Sharapova in 2008. The 30-year-old Angelique Kerber is the only other player to do so since then. For someone who's achieved so much at 22, it still feels like she is in the infancy of her career. She's still learning how to play on clay and grass courts, and although she has shown in beats that she can replicate her level, uh, half of her six WTA titles are Grand Slam championships. Her next frontier is a sustained period of excellence. Azarenka is a living embodiment of how difficult that actually is. Six years ago, she stood as the next great player herself. She first was down by injuries, then she took maternity leave, and afterwards, a custody battle for her son became her primary focus. On the court, her return has been joyful for her relentlessness. The way she roots herself to the baseline and her ability to change direction of any speeding ball, but also just her growth. Throughout the week, she has made clear not only that she is, grown, uh, she is a grown adult now, but that in 2013 she was not. When asked during her press conference how different she took her defeat against Osaka compared with seven years ago, she threw her head back and laughed. Quote, my mentality has been something a lot more fun for me to be around. I feel that I've enjoyed myself throughout the tournament way more. When we're young, you've got some uh, not great people around you. They just put in like this tunnel vision, don't look right, don't look left. You're kind of missing the point of living. You're becoming this focused machine as a tennis player, so I'm able, uh, so I'm able to be more fulfilled, I will say, outside of the tennis court, on the tennis court. Uh, I think that's a real success. I will take that any day over the just the tennis results. I think that's a much bigger achievement for me on a personal level, unquote. For Azarenka, the simple hope is the beginning of the next part of her career and that her success and personal happiness will never be at odds again. So it was a nice finish there. I'm just bringing Azarenka into it. Obviously, she was uh, the other finalist. But, um, you know, focusing on Osaka primarily for, you know, just what I want to talk about. Um, you know, the fact she's only 22 and... Um, you know, uh, I do sometimes, you know, get a bit jaded thinking about this kind of stuff, you know, just, uh, she's just wearing a mask, bro, it's not that deep, like, but, but, um, you know, I saw the other day when she, I think, I think when she actually won the title, or, you know, just during a match or whatever, just a report, um, from literal Japanese television talking about the mask she was wearing and putting actual time into who the people were, and stuff like that, and literally putting it in their report. So, you know, when you watch, you know, just general, you know, if you go on Sky Sports News regularly, or, um, you know, BBC Sport, whatever, right, and you just see those, you know, uh, you know, 10-minute news reports, 10-15 minutes of just, like, you know, just a roundup of what's been going on, 
or you know when you watch the news specifically and you see like a little you know video a vt clip of um you know just whatever the topic is you know they're doing that for not just knowing we have Saka but also for the fact that she's been wearing these masks throughout the seven matches over the past two weeks so you know <laughs> there's no reason there's there's always a reason to be doing this stuff and that's kind of what I learned from this um, and you know I kind of knew that in a way but sometimes it just it, it, it there's only so many times I can watch it fall on deaf ears you know and that's kind of where I uh, that's, that's kind of where I get my, um, I guess, uh, uh, energy tank on E kind of, <laughs> uh, kind of, uh, uh, thoughts about it, but, um, you know, shouts to Naomi Osaka for this, um, you know, it's a, honestly, just a really good, uh, way of doing things, and, uh, you know, she's, she's hopped on Twitter recently, and, uh, days afterwards, going like, you know, I'm gonna look and keep, keep doing this, and, uh, you know, you know, you haters fuel me, kind of thing, and, uh, she was like, uh, "I'm gonna try and be on your TV screens as much as possible from now on." It's just, it's just great. It's just great strength. It's just great, uh, you know, just absolute flex. And, you know, it's just, just dunking on people, man. Literally just dunking on people, and uh, and also, and let's not get this twisted. You know, as much as, you know, I personally love to hype um, the stature of the Williams sisters. Let's not get it twisted. This is still tennis. This is still a white as fuck sport. You know, it, it is what it is. It's still, you know, just one of those elitist uh, sports, right? It still is. It's so hard to get in, the, in in your foot in that door, right? And obviously there's plenty of, um, you know, black women, uh, a couple of black men, obviously Gail Monfils, uh, Francis uh, TFO is one, another one. Uh, I think there's a couple others as well, but mainly women as well, you know, obviously Sloane Stevens, Serena, Venus, Naomi, uh, uh, Madison Keys, right, <laughs> there's, pl- there's plenty of them, and that's just half of them from what, uh, from what it said in the in the article, but, um, you know, it's still a really white sport, and the fact that Naomi Osaka's been doing this on the biggest stage in the US Open cannot go missed cannot go missed and that's the last thing I'm just going to say on that because uh, I think that's just the that's the biggest pointer when it comes to sports especially of all the sports if you're doing this in tennis you know we 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 hype that we hype the the prevalence of the Williams sisters and what they and how much ground they broke and you know people like Arthur Ashe and Althea Gibson but damn still doing it right now in this climate you could easily just, you know, shut it all off, but Naomi just decided to take that shit with her and put it in her bag and literally put it on her face. That's some elite just strength right there and, um, you know, just focus on the cause and uh, the task at hand, and I can't help but applaud that. So we move on to film, and boy, ladies and gentlemen, I have a tasty report for you. I highly, highly, highly advise you guys to peep this report yourself, because I will not get through it all, okay? It is uh, 42 pages of, um, of just amazing research. 
Um, this is a film and TV, by the way. So it's a well. Let's just let's just let me just read what it is, right? So this is by the USC Annenberg Inclusion Initiative and the Annenberg Foundation, and it's called Inequality in One Thousand Three Hundred Popular Films Examining Portrayals of Gender, Race, Eth- Race, Ethnicity, LGBTQ, and Disability from Two Thousand and Seven to 2019 so you can also um uh, one diversity report i always enjoy looking at every year is the um uh, the, the hollywood diversity report from the ralph j bunch um um i, I forgot the whole i forgot the whole name but uh, it, it's in ucla it's a uh, it's, it's ucla so um just type a ralph j bunch um uh, diversity report you'll, you'll be able to find it there and find all the pdfs but this one I just found uh, recently, and it's obviously dropped in recent in the past week, um, September twenty twenty apparently. And uh, yeah, man, it's just it's just outstanding. Um, so the first few pages are you know just gra- graphs, and uh, you know they're, they're just obviously amazing. But once you get deeper into it, they actually have the proper report, which is put in words, and I'll uh, read some of it here. Um, and I'm just going to pick out some stuff. I'm not going to get into everything. I'll, bro- I'll probably just stick it to the race ethnicity conversations. Um, but there are, like I said, um, obviously by the title, gender, LGBTQ, and also disability. So, you know, by all means, get into this. Just dive deep in because obviously it covers from, uh, you know, 2007 to 2019. That's a, that's a big sample size. And, um, yeah, it's just highly worth um, getting into this. So, uh let me just get into the uh, the Rafe and Ethnicity right little report here. So let's just jump right in because obviously that's just um, the thing I'm personally most um, interested in, and uh, obviously for lack of time, I can't really get into every single thing. Um, so Rafe and Ethnicity on the screen, a total of three thousand eight hundred ninety-one speaking characters were evaluated for race ethnicity. Two th- nearly two thirds of the speaking or named characters assessed were white. That's sixty-five point seven percent. 4.9 Hispanic Latino, 15.7% Black, and less than 1% of American Indian, Alaskan, and Native. Uh, less than 1% of Native Hawaiian Pacific Islander, 7.2% Asian, 1.6 Middle Eastern North Af- North African, 4.4% multiracial, multiracial, multi-ethnic. Um, in total, 34.3% of characters were from underrepresented racial ethnic groups. This uh, point statistic. Uh, was below in the U.S. Census, which is 39.9%. There has been no meaningful increase in black, Hispanic, Latino, or Asian characters in 2019 from 2018 or 2007. However, the percentage of white characters was lower in 2019 than in 2007, but not different from 2018. The number of films erasing uh, Black-speaking characters altogether on screen in 2019, which is 15 movies, was not meaningfully different from the number of films erasing Black-speaking characters on screen in 2018, which is 12 movies, or 2015, 17 movies. 44 of the 100 top movies in 2019 erased Hispanic-Latino-speaking characters entirely from on-screen roles, which did not differ from 2018, 47 movies, and 2015, or 2015, 40 movies. Asian-speaking or named uh, characters were missing altogether from more than a third of all movies in 2019 sample, uh, which are 36 films, while 2019 was not meaningfully different from 2018, 32 films, it was lower than 2015, 49 films. Uh, The complete erasure of women of colour on screen was far worse. Looking across all racial ethnic groups measured, the number of films that erase girls, women 
from all speaking or named roles across the 100 top films in 2019 was as follows. Hispanic Latinas, 71. Black, 33. American Indian and Alaska Native, 97. Uh, Native Hawaiian Pacific Islander, 99. Asian, 55. Middle Eastern, North African, 92. Multiracial, multi-ethnic, 45. In contrast, white girls and women were only erased from seven movies. So for some of those, it's in the 70s, black in the 30s, and the rest of them in the 90s. Uh, multiracial, I think, in the 40s. White women, white girls... Seven. Just wanted to repeat that. Um, in comparison to 2015, 2019, decrease the erasure of black, Asian, multiracial, multi-ethnic girls and women on screen and increase the erasure of Hispanic Latino girls and women. Virtually all films uh, erased indigenous and MENA, MENA? What's MENA? Multi-ethnic, North, oh, uh, Middle Eastern, North African, I think that is, yeah. Um, yeah, Middle East and North African, yeah. Uh, women and girls across the five years evaluated. In terms of genre, action films are significantly more likely to feature characters from underrepresented racial ethnic groups in 2019, 42.3%, and 2007, 21.5%. Uh, similar jump was observed in animation. Um, in 2019, it was uh, 41.1%, 2000, compared to 2007, 8.1% shit. And comedy, which was uh, 2019, 37.5%, and 23, 23.1% in 2007. Uh, 17% of one th- of all uh, 1,300 movies depicted an underrepresented lead or co-lead, with 19 films, 32%, over twice as likely as 2007, 13%. A 5% uh, point increase was also observed from the 2018, from 2018, 27 to 2019, 32. For women and girls of colour, a 16-point increase was observed in le- leading, co-leading roles uh, from 2007, 1% to 2019, 17. Further, the percentage of underrepresented girls and women depicted as leads, co-leads, increased meaningfully from 2018 to 2019, 11 to 17%. <laughs> Behind the scenes, oh, this is going to be juicy, uh, of the 112 directors across the 2019 movies, a full 80.4% were white, and 196 were from underrepresented racial and ethnic groups. Um, only 88, which is 6%, of the 1,447 directors across the 13-year time frame were black. 80 were men, 90, 9.9, um, and 8 were women, 9.1. Uh, the direct the eight directing jobs were held by seven different women: Gina Prince Bythewood, uh, Cassie Lemons, Melissa Mustakis, Sana Hamry, uh, Stella Meggy, uh, Tina Gordon. As Ana, as Ava, fucking hell, as Ava DuVernay worked twice over the sample time frame. Uh, fewer black directors held movies in 2019 than in 2018: nine to 15, uh, 15 in 2018. Uh, the number of black directors working in movie uh, working in 2019, of course, they're working in movies. Um, uh, 2019, which is nine, was different from uh, was not different from 20, 2007, which was eight. Oh my gosh, only one, one more. That's crazy. Oh wow. Uh, a full 53.1% of all speaking characters were black in films with black directors. Only 12.1 of all speaking characters were black in the uh, when the director identified with another race ethnicity. Applied a gender lens, 21.9% of speaking characters were black girls, women. When the top leadership job was held by black directors, only 4.4% of girls and women on screen were black in films with directors from other racial ethnic groups. So there's more to that um, in that particular um, set 
um, obviously including the Asian and the Hispanic ones. But I wanted to get to the conclusion right quick, just for the sake of time, and uh, just talk about the what they um, are like, uh, just rounding up basically. Um, so racial ethnic representation requires revolution, which is the subheading here. Uh, each year, the risk report charts the inclusion of race, ethnicity, top films, percentage of all underrepresented speaking characters in film, 34.3%, still falls below proportional representation of the to the US population. That statistic alone does not tell the full story, however. The data from 2019 reveal that no significant increase over time uh, in the depiction of underrepresented characters has occurred, although since 2007, the percentage of white characters has declined meaningfully. Additionally, there was still... Uh, erasure of different groups, particularly girls and women of colour. Uh, nearly every film in 2019 failed to include even one uh, girl or woman who was American Indian, Alaskan Native, Native Hawaiian, Pacific Islander, or Middle East and North African. More than 70 movies did not feature a single Latina, and over half were missing Asian women or girls. One third did not include any black female identified characters, and, were, and 45 were missing multiracial, multi-ethnic multi girls and women. The widespread lack of inclusion of girls and women of colour reflects how far the film industry is true and equitable is from uh, true and equitable, equitable representation. In leading and co-leading roles, uh, some gains emerge from underrepresented protagonists despite the overall figure remaining below US census proportions. Roughly one third of all leads, co-leads uh, featured underrepresented characters, including 17% of leads and co-leads who were girls and women of colour. Both of these figures reflect meaningful increases from 2018 and from 2007. In contrast to the findings on gender, characters uh, from underrepresented racial ethnic groups were more likely to appear in action adventure films and animated movies uh, than in comedies. In fact, these genres featured characters from underrepresented racial ethnic groups above proportional representation. Um, so there's there's too there's too many I guess in that case films about like um, action and animations and there needs to be more in comedy so to speak um so obviously that's just uh, small mercies but um yeah it is what it is uh looking to the leadership positions behind the camera nearly 20 percent of directors were from underrepresented racial ethnic groups in 2019 for black directors the nine directors working in 2019 represented a decrease from the higher 15 directors in 2018 for black His uh, hispanic latino and asian directors work on top grossing films continues to be rare only 4% uh, directors uh, across the 13, last 13 years were Hispanic Latino, and only three Hispanic Latino directors worked on the uh, 1,300 films in the sample. The same is true of Asian female directors. There is much more progress to be made behind the camera for directors from underrepresented racial and ethnic groups in top-grossing films. Um, so, yeah, that's, um, that's just the... Honestly, that's just a little bit of the entire report obviously they you know include inequality in um lgbtq disabilities and gender as well and obviously stuck it to just race and ethnicity for the sake of time so honestly this whole report is outstanding um big ups to everyone who uh, were uh, part of that um, i think the um, it's at the end I obviously won't say every name but it's a, it's a solid list of about 40 50 names and uh, yeah, man, I just wanted to give that as a, um, you know, concrete evidence, concrete evidence that while we, well, I won't say we, because obviously this is just American films at the moment, and uh, I dread to think what the UK numbers are. <laughs> oh my gosh, horrible, I guarantee you. 
Um, but <laughs> but uh, while it's only while we're only sticking it in the US, um, obviously there are improvements that still need to be made here um, in order to be proportional uh, for proportional representation here. Um, but I I I struggle to um, get out of the basic answer that I come to, basic solution I give for all of this, and it's kind of the same when I was talking about the Oscars last week, it needs to be from the top down. It needs to be from the top down, it needs to be studio heads of colour, it needs to be studio heads of the LGBTQ community, like stuff like that, like the, the white people, cis white hetero people do not put emphasis on this shit. They don't need. They don't need to. Why? Why do they? Why? Why do they care? You know what I mean? So it doesn't matter to them. They just want to drop the hottest film. Like there needs to be more emphasis, less on the money as well, and more on just like trying to give everyone proportional representation. Because when that happens, um, you know, I believe um, in the whole, and this is very. Um, uh, this is very soppy, but you know, art improve. When you see yourself in a piece of art, like you, your, 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 your emotions skyrocket. Like when you see someone that looks like you or acts like you, like you, you're, you're just, you are cloud nine. You feel when you feel represented, it just hits different. Like what I was talking about when it came to a, you know, the passing of Chadwick. Like it, watching Black Panther. Obviously, it's not like I'm not. Uh, I don't have um, you know the deepest uh, African roots now. Obviously, um, <laughs> it starts in the Caribbean, and then we can get to Africa. For me personally, uh, but uh, you know, it's not it's it's not that deep for me. But seeing just all of those, just like different shades, and um, just the the whole uh, the the cultural motifs, the themes given. Even that, just just that, just hits different for me, and it's just great to hear, uh, and it's great to see. Um, so, why people just uh, won't understand, uh, might not understand this, because like you, you, most of the films in the world uh, have you on it. Like you can see yourself in a lot of films. You know what I mean? And uh, I can, I can maybe pick, I could barely pick five that I solidly see myself in. I could barely pick five, honestly, so it is what it is on that front, but it can be better, and that's the reason why we should, that's the, that's the motivation we should have for ourselves, the, um, the, to, to just, when we represent ourselves and we give people that opportunity to represent themselves, then you're just giving pe- a lot of people, <laughs> I don't, I don't want to be like deep with it, but a reason to live sometimes. Now, there's a lot of people out there that, you know, when they listen to a certain album or watch a certain TV show or watch a film, you know, and they, and they you know, they hit back. Like, um, I see, I see um, people talking to, uh, you know, Ricky Gervais like, about Afterlife and like, saying like, you know, oh, my wife, my wife died and, you know, I don't really have a reason to feel great. But, you know, your, your show made me feel great. And that's, that's something. That's something. Like, if you do that for one person, is that not enough? You know what I mean? But obviously, you know, the, 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 the buck literally stops at the buck. <laughs> and that's, that's all we, that's all we focus on, but we shouldn't, uh, when, we, when we really focus on, you know, trying to include people and make people feel good, 
um, you know, that's where the that's where the real shit comes in, and that's where the real um, the real uh, fulfillment for everyone involved comes in when everyone feels represented and they see themselves as the best feeling to anybody whether you're watching it or you're making it best feeling ever so we finish with the second sports topic or sports sports segment and uh, this is written by the legend that is Bill Russell, obviously a NBA, former NBA player, former NBA coach, 11 rings, most of all time out of anybody in the NBA, um, still kicking it, um, still bossing it. Obviously, <clears throat> um, in terms of, uh, you know, uh, uh, culturally, he was obviously one of those people, along with Kareem and Muhammad Ali, to have that, uh, have that uh, sit down, that important sit down back in, uh, I think it was, what was it, 60s. Um, and uh, you know he's still alive and kicking and he wrote this piece uh, called Racism is not a historical footnote via the Players Tribune and uh, I, I just had to yeah, I just had to give it a read had to, had to be done so uh, let's just jump right into it I once interviewed Lester Maddox on my television show it was 1969 and he was well known at the time as a southern se- segregationist and former chicken restaurateur turned politician Maddox and I had uh, diametrically opposing perspectives. He got out of the restaurant business after the Civil Rights Act of 1964 passed, so that when he wouldn't have to serve black, pe- so that he wouldn't have to serve black people. Uh, while I once refused to pay play an exhibition game after a, a restaurant refused to serve me or my black teammates, Maddox made a show out of his refusal to integrate his restaurant. He waved axe handles and guns at peaceful protesters and argued loudly that being forced to serve black people encroached uh, on his freedom. He closed his restaurant in Atlanta, ran for governor of Georgia, and won. So why would I give a platform to an individual who held such racist beliefs? First, part of freedom is allowing everyone, even the most hateful people, to speak. And second, doing so also exposes how a person comes to hold such beliefs. Now, Lester Maddox wasn't exactly an intellectual giant, so I doubt he would have been able to question the culture he had been born into if he tried, but having him on my show exposed him for the fool he was and might have also given other people some things to think about regarding the plausibility of separate but equal. In 2020, black and brown people are still fighting for justice. Even though that moment has long since passed, I'm struck struck by how similar it felt to the moment I'm living through now. In 2020, black and brown people are still fighting for justice. Racists still hold the highest office in the land, and kids today still grow up with cultural norms that aren't different enough from the ones the Lester Maddox grew up with. Now, when I say black and brown people are still fighting for justice 50 years after I interviewed a prominent segregationist, quote, an old country boy who ran for political office on a platform of hate and won, I don't mean to sound surprised. I'm not. Why people are surprised by that? In fact, I find that white people are often surprised that racial injustice still exists outside of a few bad apples. This surprise is particularly dangerous because racial injustice is rampant throughout every sector of American society, from education to healthcare to sports. And the fact that this remains surprising to many reveals exactly how different black and white people's experiences of life in America are. I grew up in Monroe, Louisiana in the 1930s and early uh, 1940s, in a family that managed to laugh despite the racial terror that surrounded us. There was the night the Klan came for my grandpa. He knew they were coming, so he had taken his family someplace safe and then sat uh, sat at his house waiting for the Klan to arrive. 
He never said anything about what it felt like to wait alone in the dark for men intent on murdering him, but it must have been equal parts terrifying and infuriating. When they got there, someone fired a shot, so my grandpa went to get a shotgun so he could shoot back. Grandpa started firing and kept reloading until the clansmen left. The story was told and retold throughout the community. The rare story of a black man standing up to injustice without facing brutal repercussions. Everyone would laugh when they reached the point reached the point in the story when the KKK left. Running. That moment was a moment of sheer relief, even in the telling, but we all knew they would come they could come back the next day. One time my dad ran out of gas in his work truck at the end of the day and had to walk home. While he was walking on the road, a couple of white men pulled up next to him in a car and asked, Boy, can you run? My, th- my father said nothing and kept walking. One of the men waved a gun in the air before repeating the question. My father started running. A bullet whizzed by. My father dove off, into, dove off the road into the ditch to keep uh, from getting killed. When he would tell a story later, he'd say that he yelled at, snake, uh, yelled at the snakes to move over, which always got a big laugh. There were some stories no one could laugh about though, stories about black men disappearing, that was how lynching happened in those days, quietly, without so much as a light in the newspaper. Black people were too scared to ask publicly what happened to the men who were missing, although they speculated at home plenty. Although this might seem like ancient history with no bearing on today, after all, after all these stories are from, uh, from my early childhood, stories that are 80 years old, but in terms of time, 80 years is only a generation or two. Black kids today don't grow up worried the clan will kill them in the middle of the night. They worry the police will kill. The effects of racial terror per- uh, perpetrated over hundreds of years don't disappear simply because America wills them to. Yet all is not hopeless. There is There, there are ways to make them disappear. They disappear with national reckoning, and uh, with an examination of our cultural norms and our power structures, with the dismantling and rebuilding of our institutions, and by ending voter suppression that, so that everyone can vote, uh, for change from the bottom to the top of the ballot. In 1969, black and brown folks were fighting against social injustices uh, that are no less pervasive today. The mode of delivery has just changed. They are easy to see if you only look, particularly in politics. When asked in, uh, about integration for an article published in Esquire in October 1967, Maddox said with a southern drawl, when the government tried to force my customers to sit next to Negroes, I got mad. We don't cotton uh, to that down here. Uh, I'm a peaceful man and has always treated my coloured help fair with due respect and decent wage, but I'm not going to live next door, no sir, unquote. Uh, In other words, Maddox had nothing against black people as long as they were subservient to white people and stayed in their neighbourhood. Their sentiment is alive and well today. In July 2020, for example, Donald Trump... uh, a New York businessman turned politician tweeted about ending a government program put in place to combat racial segregation in suburban housing. Quote, I am happy to inform all my people living in their suburban lifestyle dream that you will no longer have to be bothered or financially hurt by having low-income housing built in your neighbourhood. Unquote. Of course, when he said low-income housing would be built in your neighbourhood, he meant black and brown people will move into the suburbs which are still mostly white due to redlining and economic disparities. Despite being separated by 53 years, the only substantial difference between the two men's statements is their accent. Real change takes time, lots of it. This is infuriating but not surprising when considered in terms of foundations. America is a country of contradictions because of its foundation. On the one hand, there is the idea of, uh, of what America is supposed to be, and on the other, what America really is. America claims to be the land of the free, but it was founded on indigenous genocide and built on slavery. As a result of this discordant origin, 
America is a country at odds with its past. As long as large swaths of Americans re- regard slavery, Jim Crow's ra- and racism as historical footnotes, missteps long since corrected, there is no way to move past racism. 53 years won't do it, and 153 years won't do it. Uh, it's like apologising for something without knowing what you're apologising for. No real understanding comes of it. If America doesn't reckon with its past, divisions will only worsen. The funny thing about the past, though, is that it never really, it's never really gone. In some ways, my entire life was built on the foundation built by my parents. This is not unique to me. For better or worse, your life was also built on its foundations, wherever they were. America is no different. Its foundations are readily apparent, if we only look. They imbue everything, from who we honour in the monuments and statues, uh, to the history we teach in classrooms, to the mascots we choose for our sports teams. Recently, Confederate statues have been toppled, some purposely, some by force. I remember when a monument honouring Confederate soldiers was built in 963 in Boston, even though we weren't in the South, and even though it honoured people who had fought for slavery, and even though it had been hundreds of years since Lincoln uh, issued the Emancipation Proclamation. It was built by the Daughters of the Confederacy, far from the South, as a reminder of the Grand Old South. And there's actually a great video, uh, I think from Vox, um, about the... Uh, the Daughters of the Confederacy. Look it up. It's, it's fucking nuts how much power they had. Um, it was nostalgic of the time uh, when black people were enslaved, uh, when there was pride in the fight against freedom, and it remains a clear example of how the heartbeat of the past thumps on into the present. Nowhere is this more readily seen than in education. Education is one of the most powerful tools we have in the fight against racism because it's foundational in the formation of entire generations' belief. Talk about it, Mr. Russell. Thank you. Uh, kids learn their ABCs, but also about America's history and American culture. When I was a kid, I came across a passage in an American history book that still sears my soul. It said that slaves were better off living a slave... Oh, gosh. Better off living a slave... Slaves, uh, they, they were living free in Africa. It infuriated me, even as a child. Life without freedom is no life at all. Kids are unlikely to come across a passage so explicitly racist today, but they experience more subtle forms of racism, such as black history lessons, which are taught as adjacent to American history rather than an integral part of it. In order to eradicate racism, we must provide our children with education that includes all American history and and that examines how that history continues to shape our institutions, beliefs and culture. And you can replace the word American and America with Britain in those sentences. Please do so in your mind. And that's what I'm talking about. That's what I've been talking about. Facts. Um, the icons we choose for sports mascots also say a lot about American culture. One of the most ubiquitous mascots is the American Indian. Typically pictures of racist caricature and sometimes completed with a racial slur. Uh, this year, the Washington Aras, I won't say it, uh, finally decided to change their name after years of refusing to, despite the repeated requests of indigenous peoples and social justice adv- advocacy groups. Uh, it shouldn't require advocacy or social pressure to recognise that a racial slur is not an acceptable team name. We teach our children uh, that name calling is not okay, because it is disrespectful and hurtful. Team names and mascots are no exception, and the fact that uh, so many racist names and mascots still exist is indicative of how deeply embedded racism is in American culture. Racism in America doesn't simply affect black and brown people. It seeps into American institutions, shows, music, news, sports and minds. We can't change America's foundation, but we can reckon with it. Or we can continue, as we have for hundreds of years, claiming to be the land of the free when it's clear that the sentiment only applies to white people. America is not the land of the free when black people have to worry that they will be murdered in their sleep like Breonna Taylor. 
America is not the land of free when black people have to worry that a police officer will kneel on their necks for 8 minutes and 46 seconds like they did to George Floyd until the life was choked out of him. America is not the land of the free when the black, when black children can't play with a toy gun without fear of being murdered like Tamir Rice. America is not the land of the free when black people have to worry about the hunted, being hunted down and murdered while out on a jog like a mod Arbery. Uh, America is not the land of the free when black people have to worry about being shot in the back in front of their children like Jacob Blake. America is not the land of the free when black people's murderers always go free. Without justice for all, none of us are free. And I have nothing else to say to that. That's just a perfect write-up, um, real balanced, and uh, you know, just perfectly put. And shout to Bill Russell on that front. Honestly, really good write-up. Uh, one of the best of the year in my mind. Honestly, very very uh, coherent and very solid. Uh, and with that said, ladies and gentlemen, from the Fifth and Podcast Network, I've been Charlie Terry and it's been Moss Good. Intro music has been Too Much by Vanilla. Interlude music has been visited by Poldor. You can find both of their tunes via their websites in the link in the full show notes. Shout out to Jot Records. For the ability to use these songs, you can also find their entire band camp discography, discography, I did say it right the first time, in the full show notes. And with that said, shout out to you for listening. We hope you all have a, I hope you all have a good week. I shall always, always try and do the same. But until the next time, take it easy, ladies and gentlemen.